It's story time. Hi, Jen. Are you familiar with like how the movie Rocky starts? The old one. You know, we've talked about Rocky on the pod before. Do you remember how the original Rocky, like, I guess it doesn't start, but like plays out when he's getting ready for his big fight? All I remember from like the original Rocky is him running upstairs philadelphia i don't know oh yeah it's definitely in philly you gotta get that right philly philly listener needs you to know that okay so yeah he's right up the stairs in some gray old school sweat outfit yeah he he looks vintage he looks vintage yeah but he's getting ready for the fight and that's a pretty legit 80s you know montage sort of thing like he's he's punching all these beef sides like in the back of like you know um like meat lockers he's pounding down raw eggs i mean heck he even marries his like high school sweetheart so you know his head's like fully in the game like in terms of like what we're talking about today think about like japan is rocky japan is showing up for this epic war that we're about to break down today like just fully in the zone. Meanwhile, Russia goes about things all differently. Like if I had to describe Russia, it'd be like like a single dude in his yeah. like late twenties, you know, early forties, but you can't really tell because he's not really taking care of himself. Okay. <laughs> Sitting gotcha. in like a studio apartment, like threadbare couch, just you know, playing Warzone until like you know four thirty in the morning against somebody in like Uzbekistan, just eating <laughs> all sorts of like processed cheeses, like you know the powdery cheeses, yeah. cheese whiz, you know powder cheese and cheese whiz together and then just like you know finding people on twitter or some sort of social media platform and trying to slide into their dms every now and then like no one's gonna notice like that's how russia is going about this thing so what you're saying is russia and japan are gonna fight each other and japan is you know talking the talk walking the walk doing all the hard work to get ready mm-hmm. and russia is this like 35 year old who lives in his mom's basement basement getting ready to to fight by playing war games yeah yeah but like okay. like i don't even know if all like right. getting ready to fight like getting ready to larp i think would be a better way of describing how russia goes <laughs> about this thing so well, then this I'm should excited. be an interesting story to tell. Oh, this is a good one. I think we can have some fun with this one. Uh, let's go ahead and get into this thing because I, I can't wait. I just can't wait any longer. Hey, everybody. Welcome again to Storytime with the Historists, the podcast for world history students, teachers, and enthusiasts. It's world history, but told our way. And this week, you guessed it, continuation of our discussion on the Russo-Japanese War. Now, yes. if you haven't listened to part one of the series, we highly suggest stopping and listening to that first. A lot of context, a lot of good background information. But if you are the type of person like me who just likes to hop right into a story, well, then we hope you enjoy part two, World War Zero. Yeah. All right, Matt, where did we last leave off? So when last we left off, um, Russia had insinuated itself into Japanese business. Japan had just won the second, uh, the first Sino-Japanese War. Mm-hmm. They had gotten Manchuria. Specifically, they got this port, Port Arthur, that totally pissed off the Russians because the Russians wanted this warm water port. So the Russians start shake, uh, you know, shaking the sword is what they used to say back in the day, uh, starting yeah. to get after it a little bit. And uh, the Japanese are like, no, we're not going to back down, but they're forced to back down but then great britain starts to get up in there and starts stirring the pot and like hey man if you want to go fight we'll sell you these battleships and you guys can go drag the russians and japan's like 
yeah, we're feeling that. We're feeling that. And so Japan had gotten itself on war footing, but they had also like industrialized and modernized. They right. did all sorts of great stuff. Meanwhile, like we said at the top, Russia is just living on past glories. And there's not even a lot of past glories. I was gonna to say what on. past glories. Yeah, I like... think my bigger my bigger thing is how did Britain think that because I know Britain still thought of Russia as a threat, but good God, they have excellent intelligence. Yeah. So the so like why Britain's would you even the long game worry? Yeah, okay. they're, they're okay. just playing the long game. Like, you know, um, not to get too far into a side quest, but like uh, Great Britain had this like whole complex about like three to one is what they call it. So like if anybody else was trying to get some naval power, they had to th have three more ships of whatever their next closest enemy had. So like if mm -hmm. Russia builds a battleship, Great Britain's going to build three. If Germany builds a battleship, Great Britain's going to grow three. So, like, anybody who starts to modernize and starts to, like, step up their game a little bit, Great Britain's looking to project power on them. And at All the right. same time, they're looking to just kind of keep any sort of upstarts hemmed in, specifically anybody who's going to start, like, kind of cutting into their Chinese trade, which is exactly what the Russians want to do. Okay, I, I get I get like the whole proximity concern with Russia and, and close to China, but good God, Russia hasn't done anything no. of winning significance in a long time. And I just thought Britain would have a, a better grasp of that, but apparently not. So that's fine. No. All right. So we're going to get this big Russo-Japanese war and it, it starts because of poor Arthur and and Russia taking Port Arthur from the Japanese. Yep. The Japanese want it back because they actually did earn it. Mm -hmm. um, and Russia not wanting to give it back because they need that warm water port that they still don't have. And this is just going to lead to an epic level cluster, at least for not necessarily yeah. Japan. No, Japan's going to like come out of this thing like as a legit world power. And like really what this kind of breaks down to everything we're going to talk about today is the Russians were overly confident, right? Uh, they're feeling like they're a Western power. They're ethnically and culturally superior. Um, and they're just not like, and I, and I know we're going to be dragging on Russia. So please don't add us, you know, like this is not an anti-Russia podcast, but let's just like be straight about the situation uh, as we'll see like battles like Port Arthur, uh, Mukden, uh, and then the epic naval battle of Tsushima. Oh, yeah. Like the Russians had no business being on this battlefield. The Russians had no business picking this fight. We have an, I can do a total Rocky reference. I think, is this Rocky four is when he fights the Russian? I think it's like Rocky's three, four and five. When we had Patrick on way no, back. I, isn't Rocky three with Mr. T anyway, um, <laughs> remember whenever he was fighting the Russian, whatever Rocky that was, like that overconfidence you see in that character Drago, because he's like, I will break you. Yes, That's yes. the same kind of thing. So another nice little Rocky reference. Yeah, Fantastic. absolutely. I mean, Rocky's timeless. Rocky's timeless. Really, it is. It is. Yeah, and, and like really, it, it just, it turns into, like you said, it's an underestimation. To be fair, it's not like the low-level Russian soldier, sailor, like even spy um, that's spying on the Japanese in the lead-up to the war. Like those people are doing their jobs. Like the Russians have always mm -hmm. been good at spying. Nobody's going to ever accuse the Russian state of not knowing what's going on, right? Um, right. They are they're renowned the world over and have been for a couple hundred years now of like spying and getting intelligence. The problem becomes the Russians don't know how to use this intelligence. They have been. Been so, so inefficient and inept with intelligence forever. Good God, so so true in almost like everything. Anytime we we hear of a Russian disaster um, or any kind of Russian defeat, it is because 
they either have the intelligence and don't share it or have the intelligence and try to share it, but their system of communication sucks so bad that it gets no. And it's the same, same story here in 1904 in the lead up 1903, 1904. Like they had the, the intelligence now there was the Japanese did a pretty good job of like running some feints and stuff and like, you know, mm -hmm. pulling some, some naval training exercises that they wanted the Russians to see. Uh, There's definitely some subterfuge. Uh, the Russians also had like a big problem in Japan in the lead up. Uh, you know, they're gathering copious amounts of intelligence, but most of the spies don't speak Russian or Japanese. So they only speak Russian. And so they're talking to like Japanese uh, sources and they're looking at Japanese documents and like, yo, I don't know how to read this is it's too hard and so they find somebody to translate it bad photocopies of, oh, of intelligence because the translations aren't great um but still like they were just like straight up wrong and, and and this is a great time to introduce i think like the the story today like as much as we have a hero um there's yeah. this vice admiral for japan his name is togo Hayakachiro, I'm, like that is not how you say that. Um, <laughs> we're just gonna call him. We're gonna call him uh, Admiral, Togo. Admiral Togo. Exactly. You Thank you. You, you head and my head are in the same place <laughs> on this one. Um, but here's what the the report said about uh, Admiral Togo, and right Who, before the whose report. War, the Russian report, this okay, intelligence okay. report, it says, quote, uh, he's ill-informed on questions of tactics and strategy, the permanent squadron maneuvers poorly under his command, end quote. Like they're basically saying this guy has no idea he what sucks. he's doing. Yeah. And when he gets out there in the open ocean, his boats are just going around willy-nilly. And we're going to find out that this could not have been more wrong. Then, this is, I know. I mean, and, and th these are the sorts of seeds of overconfidence, though, that grow into this, like, you know, overgrown jungle of incompetence that swallows up the Russian army and Navy in 1904 and really in 1905. So it all starts. Yeah. And so I think we, we should get to where it all starts. It starts again with this poor Arthur yeah. and the Russians are in control of poor Arthur and what the Japanese, the Japanese have a two part plan for poor Arthur. They yes. want to blockade or at least neutralize the Russian forces at Port Arthur via the sea, mm -hmm. but they also want to bring in a land force to take control of the base at Port Arthur. That, yeah. that, that's their goal, right? Classic maneuver, classic maneuver. Yeah, yeah like, Port Arthur's out on a peninsula too, and that's kind of key here, is that yeah. the Russians are going to have to defend this wide open harbor, um, but they're also going to have to defend like this peninsula of land. Like If they get cut off, they're going to get cut off. Right. And so that's, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a tough place to defend. And their goal, I think, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, their goal was they knew that the majority of the Russian fleet was in the Baltic sea mm -hmm. and they, their plan was if we can neutralize the Russian forces at Port Arthur before that Baltic sea, you know, group comes in for reinforcements, yep. then they would have a really good chance of keeping that port. So what happens in this whole siege and everything else. Are, are the Japanese successful? Yeah, they are. They're, they're brutally successful, frankly. Um, you know, they didn't have, the Japanese didn't have a lot of ships. Remember, we're talking about a, a country here, a state that's only been in this like quote unquote modern like footing uh, for 30 years. They had six battleships. Yeah. Um, they're getting them from the British. They have like 10 heavy cruisers, 40 destroyers. Um, they had captured some German ships from uh, the Chinese during the Sino-Japanese war that the Chinese had bought. Um, I mean, they're stacked, but you know, this is what they've got. This is Admiral Tojo is bringing everything he's got to this, the siege of Port yeah. Arthur. The Russians have three total fleets. 
They have a Black Sea fleet, a Baltic fleet, and a Pacific fleet uh, stationed at Port Arthur. And so, like you said, the Japanese were in a race against time. They needed to neutralize Port Arthur. They needed to neutralize the Port Arthur fleet. Uh, they needed to keep that fleet hemmed into the harbor area um, surrounding that peninsula. And they also needed to provide enough cover for those landing forces, like you talked about those land forces, to get in so that they could actually seize the port because the port has some pretty epic level naval batteries that could blast mm -hmm. Japanese ships if they get too close. Um, so Togo's going to have to really be on top of his game and remember the russians think this guy is inept the russians yeah. think this guy has no idea what he's doing right but he togo has you know processed the intelligence he has processed uh the information that's out there he knows exactly what he's up against which is a, a russian force um that's slightly larger than his but not as high a quality and that's from an armament standpoint, but also just from a leadership standpoint as well. So if I'm the Russians and I'm already in control of Port Arthur, all I want to do is be able to defend it until I can get reinforcements. That's all I want to do. Mm -hmm. There's right. So yeah. just stay in, that stay in tight, bring right. the Japanese into you and then right. blast them every time they get in close. From the batteries, yep, right? That's it. So isn't is that what happens? No. <laughs> as oh, soon okay. as Togo shows up, right? Because he, you know, he's got to make the attack, so he's got to yeah. show up to the battlefield. The Russians rush out of Port Arthur and attack him, right? They 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 get outside of the range of their own naval guns, and okay. they make a run at uh, the Japanese fleet. Now, when we talk about this, you know, listener, anybody out there, imagine these battleships are all lined up in like a straight line, like you're like back in the day when you used to wait in line at the lunchroom. Right. And everybody's just in this queue, uh, one ship after the other. And we're talking about these old school ships with these guns um, that like they're all over the place. But for the ship to be most effective, it needs to be perpendicular to whatever it's engaging, because right. then you can bring the, the vast majority of your firepower. So both naval lines are going to come at each other and then they're going to engage in this like complex circle sort of dance yeah. until one line can get perpendicular to the other. And what you want to do is you want to catch your enemy with all of their guns pointing straight forward. Right. which means that they can't really engage you, but you can engage them all up and down your line with the, the broad side, right? And just blast away. This is called crossing the T, and it's super hard to do. Like any, right, because any most good commander is going to... Will like, not let that happen, exactly. right? Because, yeah, and you, for our listeners, if you think about the, like a capital letter T, um, the goal is if you are that, what I call the vertical part of the T, mm -hmm. if all your ships are lined up, from one side and the other side can come uh, perpendicular to that, it's a disaster for the other army because you can fire on with so many different angles. So apparently Japan crosses the T. Oh yeah, Togo crosses the okay. T big time. And he does it really quickly actually. Uh, and in fact, um, the Russian ships, they'd, been, they'd come out, uh, they get crossed up, Togo blasts and blasts and blasts. He forces the Russians back in and then he sets up a bunch of sea mines and then the Russians come out again uh, in this like phasey, foggy, misty, hazy sort of mm -hmm. weather. And um, there's just like another engagement. The ships run into the mines um, and they start getting blown up. They're outside of the both, you know, naval forces are outside of the battery range at Port Arthur, but the, everybody's watching the sea battle. The Japanese sneak up from behind. They seize Port Arthur because the Japanese right, the, have that the, huge land force. Oh, the land forces, yeah. Yep. And what ends up happening? The Russians 
lose Port Arthur almost immediately. And remember, this was the prize, right? This is what everybody is fighting for. And so right off the bat, the Battle of Port Arthur goes the way of the Japanese. The Russian fleet is destroyed, and what's Mm -hmm. left is captured by the Japanese. So now the Japanese have actually grown their naval forces so that they can run some defensive Mm -hmm. maneuvers at Port Arthur, but still have a fleet that's going to be able to engage the Russians, who, like you said at the top, are coming from the Baltic to mm-hmm. reinforce the Port Arthur. But that's going to take like three to six months for the ships to get right. there. So losing Port Arthur so quickly was devastating for the Russians, right? That's what you get when your training regimen is eating processed cheese, right? This is, <laughs> they didn't show up ready to fight. So, and, and I know this is that the Russians do take their Baltic fleets and they do send them to Port Arthur because they want to recapture it. They're not just going to let this go. That's a nope. warm water port. And we know in Russian history how important that is. And so when they send in their black, when they send in their Baltic fleet, their goal, I think I, I've read about this. Their goal is to get to Vladivostok, mm-hmm. recoup everything, and then take it to the Japanese. Yeah, yeah. Cause, but I the mean... problem is... To get to Vladivostok, you have to sail by Japan. Yeah, you got to sail right through Japan, right between a gauntlet of Port Arthur on your left and Japan on your right, right? Because you're going up north to Vladivostok. And so right. you're going to have to run this this gauntlet, and you're going to do it through this small strait called the Straits of Tsushima. And the Strait of Tsushima yeah. battle is like epic naval warfare battle. It's the first and only battle that features almost exclusively steel battleships and steel battleships Uh will rule the battle. This is it. This is the, like all this, like talk about the ancient battleship. This is the final fight. Exactly. Right. This is the first and last battle where this will ever happen because you know, when we get to world war one, no one's going to risk their battleships in large part because of what happens at Tsushima. And then in world war two, the opening salvos, like, you know, the, the, uh, Germans are going to send the Bismarck out and they get sunk. It's, you know, great battleship. Yeah. And then all the American battleships get sunk at Pearl Harbor by air power. And it's clear by 1941 that battleships are no longer the kings of the sea. It's the aircraft carrier. It's it's air power or yes, submarines. Yes. Yeah, so right. this is it. This is so like this like you... awesome battle that like <laughs> everybody had been training for for 100 years. And it happens one time. And here it is. So if we're doing the Rocky Four analogy, this is the big final fight between Rocky and mm-hmm. Drago. Yeah. All right. Um, and so the Baltic fleet, I know, does get in and does try to get through the Straits of Tsushima. They do. They have to get to Vladivostok. They have to – because we have to remember that these these Russian ships have come from the Baltic. And those of you not knowing of the Baltic are world history students, A, that makes me want to cry. <laughs> but B, it's – you know, up near like Sweden and Finland and Norway. Finland, right. Like it's a long distance. And so um, because a lot of the Russian fleet was outdated and because it was such a long journey, these ships were not in prime condition once they got to the Straits of Tsushima. The men were tired. They hadn't been able to resupply the way they wanted to. They hadn't been able to get the coal they desperately needed to run the ships as much as they wanted to. So this is like a tired, tired fleet getting ready to attack Japan, who has had plenty of time. Yeah, exactly. And and, yeah, yeah, exactly. regroup. Yeah. And so Togo, he's waiting and he, you know, obviously knows the situation here. He's waiting in Tsushima with a large naval force waiting for Mm -hmm. this Baltic fleet to try to run the gauntlet, 
right? And like, not only was he there and waiting and he was ready, but he had advanced warning for when the Russians show up because the Russians show up, they're sailing up um, and they're well out of range, like visual range of the Japanese right. like ambush fleet. However, they're talking on the radio and the Japanese have little listening stations on the islands inside of the strait and the Japanese oh, pick up the radio chatter and they realized really quickly that this is military chatter and it's not like fishing boats or the merchant marine or anything like that because they're talking right. about like the size of the fleet and then you know which ships are there all this stuff like they're called codes russia like try to use them sometime <laughs> like even my daughter like tries at six years old tries to use rudimentary codes when she's trying to keep something secret from my wife and i like she knows the code messages but apparently the russians didn't think that it was a problem um and then to like to compound like the problem here like the russians think like oh the japanese are like us technologically which means even if they're listening in like how are they going to get the information to the ships because they don't have like hard lines to 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 oh, make the communication they didn't understand they were using wireless gotcha. they up the japanese had wireless and again this is gets back to that whole cultural superiority that like kind of like quote unquote white man's burden mm -hmm. ugliness of this time period like oh those yeah. guys can't have wireless it's a new technology they haven't figured it out yet like wrong so togo knows right. togo's waiting admiral togo is waiting he's already crossed up the t once he's already devastated the port arthur fleet and he's in immediately in better naval position because when as soon as the russians show up like the line shows up in shishima the right. japanese fleet comes out from their hiding spot and utilizes their superior speed right because the japanese ships built by the british are Bastard. Fast, yeah, they're yeah. they're sustaining 15 yeah. knots whenever they want to. The Russians top out at 12 knots at short bursts. And so Togo okay. pulls up like you know, parallel to the Russians, has his broadside, blam, 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 blam. He hits the Russians fast and then pulls out way in front of them. And the Russians are like, Oh, I think they're gone. We must have scared them off. Meanwhile, what's Togo doing? Everybody at home that says crossing, crossing the, the T is correct. He yeah. crosses them up and he does it in this foggy, misty sort of late, uh, like, I guess early morning, not late evening is probably the way to say it, May uh, morning. So it's like really hot and steamy and foggy and stuff. And the yeah. Russian ships emerge from the fog and they're sitting in this perfect blasting position uh, for the Japanese. And the Japanese just start engaging, bam, 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 bam. And they just start lighting up the russians right and so here's the thing right because i want to get back to this because i think it highlights again everything that went wrong for the russians is that in crossing the t for a second time togo does something that not even the like vaunted legendary british admiral horatio nelson accomplishes he crosses the t twice in one war nelson did it one time Right, Lord Nelson from Great Britain fighting Napoleon, Battle of Trafalgar. He does it one time, and they name a square after him. He's got a yeah, giant statue on top it. of this huge pillar. It's like 500 feet in the air. It's ridiculous the level of love that the British feel for Nelson because he crossed up the T one time. Now, Togo's done it twice in like six months. So I'm going to guess the Japanese win this battle at oh, yeah. Tsushima. So, like, yes, going away. So the first time, <laughs> so again, 
they go parallel, blam, blam, blam. Then they cross the T, boom, right? And then the Russians right. like faint around it. Togo disperses his forces. The Russians are like, oh, we can just run the gauntlet. Let's just get through here. And so the Hurry Russians there, yeah. take this like faint, like, oh, Togo doesn't know what he's doing, but Togo has set another trap. So when Togo disperses his forces, like, cause he's in that, like, like you said, that upper capital T position, he breaks right. that T in two, kind of like he lost control of his line to let the Russians through. Yeah. But really what he's done is he's given himself space and time to get it back in front of the Russians again. And he crosses the T on him for the third time. He does it twice in what? one battle. Just, you would think by, by that stage of the game, the Russians would have somewhat of a clue that this guy yeah, knows well, what he's doing. He was able to take poor Arthur. He's crossed the T twice. Like what would possess you to think, oh yeah. no. Those yeah, no, oh, you clearly lost control of the line. What idiot, right? You have more chance, like, the, you could have won the Powerball. You, you have a yeah. better chance of that than, like, if you're in a real naval war than getting crossed up twice in one battle, let alone three times in one war. But this is what Togo does. And so he blasts down the flagship of the Russians. Um, when it's all said and done, the Russians lose mm -hmm. 16 of their vaunted battleships or heavy cruisers, right? These are the, the top of the Oof. line. So Oof. not only is the Port Arthur fleet uh, destroyed, that Pacific fleet, the Baltic fleet is totally destroyed, Oof. right? The Russians had like 40 some odd um, like destroyers and torpedo boats and all those sorts of things. And all but three of them are chased down and sunk by the Japanese. That is one decisive yeah. victory. I mean, and it got to the point where it was so obvious what was happening that the Russians decide they're going to scuttle their own ships. They're going to sink their own ships instead of letting the Japanese take them. Um, and so, like, uh, the, the, the losses are compounded uh, on top of that. And so ships that maybe would have gotten away, the Russians panic because they don't think they have a chance of uh, actually making it in. Um, and meanwhile, Togo has withdrawn all of his, like, prized capital ships because uh, he doesn't need to. Yeah. And he's got smaller torpedo boats that are, like, flanking in and around all these battleships um and this is when in these small like engagements with these torpedo boats are when the japanese lose their first ships of the battle of tsushima when it's all said and done the japanese will lose three torpedo boats that's it that's oh it God. and meanwhile there's I, like this... 25 30 russian ships sitting at the bottom of the strait there's like no russian they're done they're down to one fleet okay. left they got to save it now it's the black sea oh, fleet that's it yeah so I can't imagine that the Russian people are really thrilled about this, right? Because I know we had talked in the previous episode that Russia, even though Russia was attempting to modernize and industrialize, it was like some half, excuse my language, half-ass mm -hmm. effort. Like it wasn't working. And as a result, the workers in Russia were having terrible conditions. Even the peasants who were still working in the farms having terrible conditions. This can only exacerbate oh, yeah. that, right? Like this, this is not good. So not only... Do you have domestic problems? Now you've got foreign policy problems and it, it's just like an epic level disaster for Russia and the Russian yeah, people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this war couldn't have gone more wrong. We talked about Port Arthur and Tsushima. Um, there's also this huge um, land battle, the Battle of Mudkin, uh, which like for anybody who's mm -hmm. paying attention to this war would have realized like exactly what World War One would have been like. I mean, Mudkin involved like nearly 600,000 soldiers. It, it tops over 600,000 soldiers. Um, there's wow. over 160,000 dead at 
Ted Mudkin. I mean, this thing was like, it was obvious uh, what modern industrial warfare was going to be uh, 10 years before, I guess nine years, if we're being fair, mm -hmm. nine years before those first engagements um, of the First World War in Belgium. But like the reality is, is that the Russian people are just not feeling this level of loss, right? We already talked a lot about how, like you said, all these failed reforms and how Russian people uh, were like the poorest of the poor and they're living in this backward society. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to talk about this next uh, episode um, when we talk about Bloody Sunday. But like the people, like even with all the bad at the beginning of 1905, they're still like feeling that nationalism. They're still feeling their czar in particular. And it wasn't uh, until the events of Bloody Sunday occur that the Russian people start to turn their back on uh, the Romanov dynasty and um, start to like, you know, begin the end of uh, that 300 year old czardom in Russia. But we're going to need a lot more time and space yeah. to get into what happens in Russia. And then, you know, we'll also kind of, we need to touch a little bit on Japan, but this is it. I mean, Japan for all intents and purposes is now punching with the big boys. Yep, they're they at the have big boy arrived. Table. Yep, they have arrived, um, and you know it's it's one of those things of at, coming out of the Russo-Japanese War. You can see that powerhouse that eventually is going to try to flex in 1930 and 1940 uh, at the beginning of World War II. Right, they're, they're that power. They have arrived. But that's a story for a later day. Absolutely. Well, thank you once again for joining us today in our second part of our Russo-Japanese War series. As always, if you enjoy our podcast, we encourage you to listen to more of them. You can follow us on Spotify, iTunes, Instagram, anchorf.fm. Yeah. On the internet. You know where the internet is. You know, this is, <laughs> this is where you find us out there. You know, get the pod. Subscribe, please. You know, we're trying to, we're trying to make something of this, right? So we look forward to our final part of our three-part series in the Versal Japanese War. And as always, thanks for listening to us. Until next time, see you later. Bye.